with Custodians of the Planet. Custodians of the Planet brings consciousness to environmental issues and looks at different perspectives regarding the tensions and harmony of human activities in a changing climate. Some of you may have heard of the legendary lost city of Atlantis a magical place that sunk into the ocean and was lost forever. I'm not sure whether it truly existed or not, but I know that projects are being constructed over the ocean right in front of our eyes in Sydney. As the number of humans are increasing, the proportion of towns and cities trying to catch up with this growth. Urban sprawl is not a new concept, yet ocean sprawl is. Today the talk about the modern-day Atlantis and the concept of marine urbanization is Dr. Mariana Mayo Pinto, who is a marine ecologist and a senior research fellow at the University of New South Wales. Mariana, welcome to Custodians of the Planet. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me here. Tell us what is marine urbanization and can you provide a couple of the most interesting examples? So marine urbanization, it's when human activities start going from land to the ocean, right? So it involves lots of things, but it mainly occurs in the forms of construction in the sea. So we have lots of examples from buildings to protect our coasts, such as seawalls and breakwaters to protect from erosion and sea level rise to whole artificial islands being built, like most known cases of Dubai, like the Palm Islands. And now even people are building like restaurants and entire hotels underwater. Mm. Um, So yeah, so underwater cities is not a future thing anymore. It's like happening right now, right? So it's, it's quite interesting and quite scary at the same time. But yeah, it comes in all shapes and forms. So marinas, for example, and all boating recreational uh, infrastructure are considered marine urbanization. Constructions for offshore energy, like so these wind farms or Oil platforms are a form of marine urbanization. So we are trying, we are occupying the sea now. Mm. So, yeah. Too many. Too many, yes. (laughs) So humans are living on such developments. And also these platforms that support human life on land, as you said. And sounds like environmentally risky projects. How marine urbanization and construction affect the water quality and the surrounding ecosystems? Yes, so ones I mainly work on are more the coastal ones, which are the most common ones. So we built a lot on the coast. And we know, for example, like Sydney Harbour as a good example of highly modified city. So we know that more than 50% of Sydney's shoreline has now been modified by seawalls and pilings. And research that has been done for about like 20 years that it started with a Professor G. Chapman in Sydney Uni that started looking at the biodiversity in what we call these artificial structures. So that the biodiversity in these structures is much lower than in natural rocky shores. And these patterns is true nowadays. Like I've just done a big recent survey on piling seawalls and rocky reefs. And we found not only that the biodiversity on seawalls and pilings are much lower than rocky reefs, but the type of organisms that we found on these habitats are different. So that can have quite a 
big implications for the whole ecology of the system. Hmm. Infrastructure doesn't seem to get along with biodiversity, in a sense, and put a lot of stress on these ecosystems and species. And what are the other stresses on our coasts and oceans? Oh, there are too many, (laughs) unfortunately. So pollution is a big one. Urbanization, it's usually quite increasing in pollutants getting in the water. It's quite common around areas with lots of people. Plastic, of course, is a big issue. Uh, But I think the main issue we're now facing, and it's global, it's climate change. Uh, there is no way we can get away with it, and it's it's definitely a big, important threat. Yeah, climate change is a big one. And it's interesting to think about the relationship between the climate change and infrastructure. Infrastructure has impact on climate change, and also climate change has an impact on infrastructure because it's trying to be more resilient to the impacts. So... How can we ensure marine infrastructure actually provides a benefit to the marine environment? Look, unfortunately, we know that the construction is inevitable, right? Like um, people need place to live. It's quite naive to think that we can just stop building. But we know that we can build better. So we can build in better ways, taking into account the ecology of the systems. So the materials we we use, it's quite important. Where we build is quite important. How we build, like the shape. So instead of doing those featureless kind of seawalls and pilings, quite boring, flat structures, if we put in some habitat complexity, some crevices, some artificial rock pools, we know that these increase biodiversity a lot. Um, and if we couple that with restoration of natural habitats, that's even better because that creates more protection for our coast from sea level rise, for example. So we can use this infrastructure as well as sort of to increase education, for example. So they can be used as living aquariums, for example. Why not, right? So we we start raising awareness of the ocean and the environment, that it's something that not everyone is aware of because what you can't see, it's out of mind, out of sight, right? So we can raise awareness for some of these issues with some of these modifications. So there are lots of things we can do and we can build as well to target particular services. So for example, if you want to increase, uh, improve water quality, we can build in ways to actually promote settlement of filter feeders like oysters and mussels, for example, that serve as like power filters of the sea, like powerhouse filters, that they can filter the water and they can clean the water. So we can do all sorts of stuff using ecology, real sound science, coupled with social and engineers and how to do that. But yeah, lots of possibilities to do it better. It's good to hear it's been evolving. You mentioned some of the projects underway in Sydney earlier. How would you describe the pace of Sydney's marine development? Yeah, it's pretty quick. I think it's a global trend and I think Sydney 
it's no exception. We are building more and more. We are modifying our shorelines more and more. As we know, like half of the world populations live near the coast. So that has been driving a very rapid pace of modification of, of our coastlines. And Sydney is no exception to that. Generally for land-based developments, I think local councils or state governments are empowered to review development applications and subject to the development's compliance with regulations and grant approvals. Are there any careful measures or regulations for these types of developments? It's it's quite a complex <laughs> question, that one, because depends on the level of the watermark. Different governments are in charge of it. So some bits are for local councils, some bits are state government. So it's quite a complicated legislation. And in theory, eco-engineering, what we call this type of modifications of artificial structures, they are not yet fully mandatory, but we are trying to make them quite an important step when you want to build. It's like how you're going to build, taking into account not only the land side of it, but also the ocean side of it, which is usually overlooked. So, yeah, we are working on it. Hopefully it will be part of the legislation soon. It is a bit upsetting to see and witness how these regulations, laws, and management systems focus uh, on human centeredness despite the impact is on everyone including ecosystem species and as you said the things we can't even see and i think eco-engineering is an important step to broaden that mindset and perspectives anyway you have a solution-based approach in your research and you've been working on a number of projects and one of them is mitigating the effects of anthropogenic disturbances on marine ecosystems. Could you please tell us about the Living Seawall project? Yes, so the Living Seawall project is a flagship project of the Sydney Institute of Marine Science and it's led by me and two colleagues from Macquarie University, Associate Professor Mel Bishop and Dr. Catherine DeForn. And The main objective of this project is how lots, so in Sydney Harbour, for example, lots of the seawalls are heritage protected. So we can't actually put them down and like restore natural habitats. So we need to work on them. So how can we retrofit these seawalls with these enhancement units? to improve the ecological value of these artificial habitats. So we have been working very closely with the Reef Design Lab, which is a company based in Melbourne, with Alex Gold, who is an industrial designer. So based on our past research, we design these tiles, which are 3D printed and mimic rock pools, for example. They mimic things that we are, the microhabitats that are usually found on natural rocky reefs. And we know that improve the diversity of this artificial habitat. So we have whole different designs of tiles now out in the harbor and we are looking at how they affect the biodiversity, how they affect functioning of the systems like filtration rates, for example, and how does it then in turn affect water quality, how they affect fish, 
So we are trying to get quite a holistic ecologic view on how these modifications can improve the ecological values of CO, but most importantly, we want to do it at scale. Instead of doing like very small scale modifications, we are modifying entire CEOs. And hopefully that will improve the whole ecology, ecological value of the harbor. So right now we have installations in the sawmillers, Sawmillers Reserve, McMahon's Point. And we also have some installations which we partner with Volvo to try different types of tiles, actually, which is very close. I always forget the name of that place. It's very close to the Harbor Bridge. So when we look, it's on the seawall right underneath the Harbor Bridge around Kiribili's Point, which is we have there as well. And we are about, hopefully, we have been getting a bit delayed with all the permits and bureaucracy around these heritage uh, built seawalls and local councils, but hopefully we'll soon we'll have some installations around Manly and Fairlight. Oh wow, sounds really exciting. Regeneration everywhere. It's lovely to hear the collaboration with Volvo and other partners. By the way, what has your research shown about the impact of these particular installations so far? So, so far, results are quite promising. So we have seen quite an increase in terms of biodiversity of invertebrates in it. And we have seen an increase as well in cryptobentic fish. And so like blennies and oyster blennies and gobies. I was just came from a meeting where we are discussing the latest results. And we actually found that some of these modifications increased the number of rare uh, blennies and gobies in the harbor. So just pretty cool. So That's we cool. are actually really excited. So in terms of the living seawalls, 
which is being, the whole thing is being coordinated by Dr. Maria Vozo from, from SIMS. And we just did the first six months survey of it, and we are still analyzing the data, but we are actually pretty optimistic that we'll have quite amazing results because it's quite visible. We'll go and see the, the tiles and they are full of life. So that's great. That sounds really promising. <laughs> and would you define this project as mitigation or restoration? Uh. Well, it's actually what we call reconciliation. <laughs> so in conservation biology, there are lots of different types of definitions. So restoration, for example, usually you are aiming to restore something to a previous natural state. How far away that is from reality or how previous this is, it's, it's still quite debatable. <laughs> But reconciliation is specifically in places where people work, live and play. So places like urban areas that are so highly modified that it's impossible to go back to how it was, right? So if you think of Sydney Harbour and sea walls, it's quite impossible. There is no way we can restore these sea walls to natural rocky reefs. So what we can do is improve the biodiversity and improve the ecosystem services of these areas by doing this type of interventions. So it's a bit of both. So it's reconciliation, which aims to mitigate some of the impacts that the structures cause, but also improve some of the conditions as well that we have now. Well, whatever the definition is, whether it's reconciliation, restoration, or mitigation, it is definitely ecocentric. Can you tell us about any other exciting projects in the pipeline for the Sydney Institute of Marine Science? Yeah, so the SIMS is quite focused now on solutions-based uh, research. It's quite exciting because for quite a long time, we researchers got like only talking about the impacts and it's super important, but it's great to, to work on restoration. So one other project that I'm not directly involved, but it's super, super exciting is Operation Crayweed, where researchers and some researchers from UNSW, and it's led by uh, Dr. Ziggy Marzinelli from Sydney Uni. It's restoring underwater forests. So pretty much the crayweed, which is uh, Philosopher Comosa, which has been missing from the urban shoreline of Sydney for the last 70 years, and only recently we actually notice it. And it supports a lot of biodiversity, important biodiversity, like commercial, such as abalone and crayfish. So they are actually restoring, successfully restoring these underwater forests along Sydney's uh, coastlines, which is super nice. Dr. Mariana Maya Pinto is a marine ecologist at the University of New South Wales. Mariana, thanks for coming by. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.
Custodians of the Planet is an independent and freely available media program and relies entirely on contributions from listeners. If you appreciate what we do and would like to support us, there are a few ways to do so. Start a conversation with your friends and colleagues and be part of the change. Share a link to our podcasts on social media. Donate to our podcast. Each episode is the product of hours of on-location audio recording, editing, research, scheduling, and music composition. Just $10, a couple of coffees will sustain the hours of labor that go into producing each episode and ensure Custodians of the Planet is an ongoing series. Thank you for your support. For this episode, I'd like to say special thanks to Bonnie Paris for editing the script and Christian Fortes for his technical support. I'm Denise Ildiz. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episodes.